On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Rich Chambers. He's got a brand new single out called High School Can't Last Forever. We're going to talk about that, some of his other work, and maybe what the weather's like up there in Vancouver, B.C. So welcome to the show, Rich. Hey, thanks, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Good to be on. You know, before we talk about the music, let's just talk about Vancouver, uh, British Columbia for a minute, which I love because I grew up in Washington right below it. But when I was in high school, I remember when, like, Brian Adams broke through. I think he was, wasn't he an early, you know, Vancouver uh, rocker? Oh, absolutely. It was uh, early to mid-'80s, and he broke through with uh, a couple of songs. Uh, Cuts Like a Knife was, I think, the first real big one that went crazy for him. Uh, Oh, yeah, he was uh, huge in Vancouver, still is. Yeah, because he kind of brought back some basic rock and roll, and that's where we were kind of in flux. I think at first, you know, they wanted to put anyone who went back to the basic 1960s, you know, basic rock, you know, new wave was happening. But there were a lot of people, they really weren't new wave. They just had a love for classic 60s rock. Yeah, no, it's true, Kelly. I mean, I think there's always... Uh, Adams came out on the big synthesizer push. MTV had just hit home, and uh, uh, MIDI and synthesizers were sort of predominating all over the place. But he came back with the guitar. And uh, you're absolutely right, that 60s rock. And I think throughout the evolution of pop music and rock music, lots of artists seem to always dive back into that 60s, that the Beatles started and the Rolling Stones and Elvis, where it was just a bunch of people with guitars, bass, and drums and singing away. So... uh, Adams is definitely uh, part of that portion. Well, here's one I'll throw in. Maybe this will date us both. I don't know if they were from Vancouver, but I think they were British Columbia. Do you remember from back in the 80s, Doug and the Slugs? Oh, absolutely. I remember seeing them in local pubs. Yeah, they were uh, a big Vancouver band. Uh, They started in the late 70s, and they continued through to the 80s. And they never hit it huge, but those who knew about them really were fans, for sure. You obviously, Kelly, know about them. <laughs> you know, I once almost got to see them. I was in Victoria, and they were playing, and the people I was with didn't want to go. And I said, come on, with a name like Doug and the Slugs, this is a no-brainer. We've got to see these guys. <laughs> but I was, I was overruled, no so... You know, I probably dropped those friends right after that. <laughs> that's too bad. Actually, that's the name of their, their biggest single. It's called Too Bad. <laughs> well, this brings it back oh, yeah, to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this brings it back to you, and I'm, I'm going to read just a little bit of – you wrote this on your website, and I think this, this really okay. – um, you said it best. You said, not many use the term rock and roll anymore but Rich Chambers fully embraces it. Taking his inspiration from classic guitar, pop, and country rock from the 50s right through to the 90s, Chambers puts a modern spin on his music to create songs that are comfortingly familiar, yet also freshly new. And I think that's the thing is people take their influences, but you put your new spin on it. Yep, for sure. And uh, Kelly, it, it's great because I, I often, I think part of the, the problem with the industry, it's a, it's a plus and a minus. Um, we're inundated with so many different genres and styles, which is great, but then we're also asked to define them, which isn't so great because we end up pigeonholing too many artists. 
and too many people get stuck on their one genre. So you might say you like one type of music and not willing to try out another, which is a shame. And so when people say, well, you, you play rock? I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, what kind of rock? And this is how I came up with the idea of rock and roll. And because I can't really define it. I mean, they give you an idea. This is the, the, the perplexing problem I've had for years. When I first started pushing my music to radio, I would go to a standard rock station. They'd say, oh, this is too retro. I'd go to a retro station and say, this is too I'd try country and they'd say, this is too rock. And then I'd look at rock station and say, I'm too country. The blues and punk stations would say, no, 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 you're too rock. And sometimes the rock stations say, well, you got too much of a punk edge to you. <laughs> it's a problem, but I think it's a problem I love because it tells me that I'm hitting all the genres that I grew up with, all the genres I listened to. And I love the idea of it's a good song, it's a good song. Who cares what genre it is? Mm-hmm. If it's a good song, it's simply a good song. Well, what was so fun about early rock and roll is it it had a lot of rockabilly and a lot of the rockabilly artists came from country. And you think of, you know, the blues and country roots of rock and roll. And it seems like that's had yep. maybe a little revival just in Americana and people wanting to play real instruments again. Totally agree. And I, I like to see it. Because um, rock and roll, when you get right down to it, you're absolutely right. It's the, the it's a high of the blues and country. It came together and it pulled uh, jazz, it pulled a bit of big band, and that's what I think the essence of rock and roll is. And that's I've tried to get back to that, but throwing in some of the evolution that it's done in the last 50 years or 60 years, to throw in some punk, throw in some uh, uh, that 90s Nirvana and Green Pilot scenario, and uh, and that's what rock and roll is. It's sort of a constant evolution. Well, I'm going to read a, a little blurb that talks about High School Can't Last Forever, your new single. Okay. And, and you tie in uh, something interesting with high schools. You said, the culture of rock and roll was born in American high schools. The earliest practitioners of rock were barely out of high school themselves, and they wrote songs that chronicled the experiences and channeled the great expectations of their audience. Rock bands were high schoolers. And their view of the world was the one you'd get from behind a desk in a classroom, waiting desperately for the bell and the beginning of freedom. Yeah, <laughs> that's sort of, I was sitting there too. I think all of us, whether you're a rock and roller or not, I think it's just sort of that, um, that, that eight, that 17, 18 year old individual self. I, I've often said that high school is a very tough age for a lot of people because you're not really, you're not a kid anymore, but you're not quite an adult. You're in this middle limbo land. And most of us at 17, 18 are just busting to get out of high school. And high school is a metaphor. It's the idea of busting out to get out into, into real life. And if you equate that to rock and roll, rock and roll is grown up. Rock and roll, we aren't just 18-year-olds out of high school anymore. You have 50, 60, 70-year-olds. I mean, how old, how old is McCartney? 79 years old and he's still rocking it? I mean, yeah. uh, rock and roll is a grown-up that's matured, and uh, but yet there's the high school roots are still there. And that's what I love about it. And you never so are high influenced. school can't last forever. Yeah, and, Sorry, and you're ahead, never sorry. quite as influenced by music as when you're in high school. You're coming of age, and you connect that music yep. to you know going through puberty and falling in love for the first time and being rebellious and you know, just wanting to, you know, get out of school. Absolutely. Our high school songs become, in some ways, the soundtrack of our life. 
Um, and along the way, we, we grab, gravitate to some new music and try out some new things. But most people can easily go back to what they listened to in high school, and it's sort of that it's always there. All and uh, that's what I love about uh, And that's partly where high school Can't Last Forever came from, the idea that um, you can't go back to high school but you can go back to the innocence of it. You can always grab the innocence. Innocence is a state of mind. You don't have to be 17 years old to be innocent or to pull in the positivity of what innocence is. So that's where the sort of uh, um, the message behind the song came from. Well, there's that point in high school where you have to identify with, oh, I like the Rolling Stones or, oh, I like Boston or, you know, that was such a way, it was a yep. shorthand to say, oh, you're my clique, you're, you're my friends because you like the same bands yeah. that I like. Yeah. And Kelly, I don't think it's changed much. I mean, I, I talk to my kids going through high school and, and the same principles are there. Um, and I often ask them about uh, um, some of the old John Hughes movies from the 80s, you know, Ferris Bueller and 16 Candles. And they say, well, Dad, it's kind of dated, but the principles are still the same. And you're absolutely right, Kelly. It's a, people identify with the music they listen to, the clothes they wear, the people they hang out. And that all starts in high school where we sort of start to formulate our social consciousness or who we are as people in society. Now, what happens when you, you embrace the rebellious side of rock and roll when you're 16, but suddenly, you know, when you are 46 or 56 or you have kids of your own and they're rebelling, at what point... Is there this disconnect of, oh, my goodness, I can't rebel forever, yet I don't want to lose that rebellious spirit of rock and roll? Well, I think you, you channel it. Like anything, I, I, I think you, you channel it in ways that are positive. I think any sort of what we deem as a negative emotion, obviously lots of times people think of rebellion as something that's negative. But the root core of what causes somebody to rebel is a sort of passion. And sometimes it's misunderstanding. Sometimes it's understanding. Sometimes it's wanting something better or something different. You channel that into something that's positive. So I think that's where I think maturity comes from as we start moving away from high school. And so the maturity of what rock and roll has done, that rock and roll isn't just about rebellion. Rock and roll has messages of positivity and has been saying it for years. So I think that's how you move the rebellion. You, 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 you sort of channeled into a, a, a positive affirmation of some kind. Can you remember the first record you bought? Yes, I can. I love that question. Uh, my mother bought it for me, and I was only maybe four or five years old. But it was Paul McCartney, listen to what the man said, 45. There, I totally wow. hated myself there. <laughs> now, oh, yeah, I can never Kate remember. Late, Night Chicago died. Okay, but like in the 70s, McCartney's output, I can never remember which he did as a solo artist and which he did with Wings. Yeah, it gets it's blurred a bit. I think it was mostly Wings throughout the 70s, and then he came with uh, uh, the self-titled McCartney, his second one, one in around 1979, 1980, that had the song coming up on it. I think that's when he started going solo again. Okay. And what wasn't uh, Maybe I'm Amazed, was that one of his early solo? Yes, it was. That's, that's right, Kelly. That was, I think, on his first solo album, if I remember correctly. Um, that's predating me, so I'm not that old. But, uh, <laughs> but still, that's I'm a big amazing Beatles fan. How, so I, I, yeah. 
Well, it's like ten in, in only ten years he went from maybe I'm amazed to coming up. He he became very pop. Yep. I, I, I weren't you surprised at that evolution of Paul McCartney? Well, it was interesting. Then in the '80s, he hit the. Uh, I think it was "Give My Regards to Broad Street." That uh, um, and I forget the single that came out. Of- he got very poppy. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of artists pushed towards that pop in the 80s because MTV, I think, drove it, in my opinion, because every suddenly video was big and every artist, uh, ZZ Top, went all synthesizers and they hated it, uh, but it made themselves an absolute fortune and made themselves MTV staples. And other bands did it too. Duran Duran were masters at it. Um, and it just created a different evolution in, in rock and roll. And uh, today, people still, rock bands still have to have videos today. It's still a, a, a vital component of the, the marketing push behind a band. Well, it just goes to show how much talent there is in, in rock singers. And, you know, people, I don't know why people used to discount rock music, because, you know, you look back now and think of just all the, the technical expertise these musicians had, yet, you know, when everything gets grouped together, you know, pop music, rock and roll. And now when you look back at some of the arrangements on some of these albums, they just sound like, you know, genius classical music compared to a lot of the EDM and just the very, you know, programmed dance beats we hear now. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I I think it's part of the evolution. I mean, when rock and roll hit in the 50s, it was rebelling against that sort of the norm. And... Rock and roll's always uh, sort of evolved in the 60s. It, it got a little more crazy, got a little more uh, uh, protest-like. In the 70s, disco came out, and then punk in late 70s, and then 80s, it hit the, um, the video craze. 90s, Nirvana came out, and the rock and roll's always pushing the edge. From the year 2000 on, rock and roll hasn't been pushing the edge, but pop music still wants to. So what pop music has done, in my opinion, it's gone back to the beat. Um, you look at the core of rock and roll, rock and roll was combining the, the beat with melody. So it was taking that feel that R and B and blues had combined with traditional melodies of big bands. And suddenly you had a beat alongside a melody. Now we've evolved to the point where it's all about just the beat and pop music mm-hmm. in my opinion has lost the melody and that's a shame. And that's where rock really, uh, um, in my opinion stands out because it, it takes basic melodies and formulate some in new and exciting ways and like you say we've gotten the new electronic music is awesome in some ways but also not great in others um so i i'm i'm torn in many ways about where pop music is going right now Hmm. you know for someone who's never been in a band share with them what it's like you know you are young you're a teenager or in your early 20s you start a band and you got to play, you know, dive bars and, and, you know, everyone imagines playing Madison <laughs> Square Garden and, you know, these great places. But, you know, especially back in the day, you pay your dues. I mean, what was it like paying your dues early in your career? <laughs> what a great question. Yeah, I played some pretty divey places, no question. <laughs> There's times where I wasn't sure if I was going to get out with my gear intact and without a black eye or a broken nose or something. <laughs> there have been some crazy times and some super fun times, too. Uh, there's no question. Um, it, it takes the good or the bad, but it's all part of the evolution. And every time I did, 
a cheesy dive where maybe three or four people listened to me or there were six people in a place and nobody's listening to me. It built certain character and it, 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 it made you realize, okay, I got to try this harder and do this differently and try that. And then you get a gig where suddenly 150 people are jammed into a place that should only have 75 and they're going crazy and they're cheering for you and jumping up and down. So it's a little bit of everything. There's no question. And that to me is what, rock music's all about and that's where I sort of really developed myself as a guitar player and as a singer was playing all these live gigs and 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 having all those experiences and that's and unfortunately we're losing that live gig uh, um, atmosphere which is a shame because nothing beats a live band even a bad live band is still so much fun <laughs> it's a great atmosphere exactly well, things have changed so much in, in how you promote yourself as an artist, as a band. And we've really lost out on radio, because I just remember in the heyday of rock and roll radio and the great disc jockeys, and there was also a time when yeah. you could be a regional success, like your local rock radio would support you as a local artist. Do you, do you remember yeah. those days? Absolutely. I mean, that's in some ways, that's how Brian Adams got his start, Dug in the Slugs here in Vancouver. I mean, they they broke through, they got support local radio. And it's a shame because radio has evolved. Radio is still important in the industry, very important. But it's it's almost impossible to break through unless you are a big name. Um, it's, 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 it's a shame. Um, but in the plus to that, Kelly, it's a sort of double-edged sword because with, with the internet, for instance, I'm getting played all over the place right now on independent and internet radio stations. Uh, they're sort of doing what uh, AM radio did in the 1950s and 60s, where every, suddenly all these new stations popped up, and the DJ could say, yeah, I like you, I'm going to play your songs. Now, commercial radio doesn't do that, but internet radio does. So it's very interesting how things in some ways go full circle. So I'm getting quite a bit of airplay on, on internet radio. And lots of people are now turning to internet radio because they're taking five gazillion commercials on commercial radio and hearing the same bands over and over again. They want to discover new music, and that's where internet radio is really becoming a, a, a neat thing. What are your favorite? Like, do you have a strong presence on Spotify or YouTube? What are your favorite outlets? Uh, Spotify is sort of the king right now. There's no question. They don't pay a heck of a lot, <laughs> as everybody, any artist will tell you. In some ways, I actually, about seven, eight years ago, prior to Spotify, when it was iTunes paying 50 cents to an artist for, per download, artists were doing better. Now Spotify, you get, I think it's .003 cents per stream. So what Spotify is, is basically um, getting your name out there. Spotify is where you build up the fan base. And now artists are making money on merchandise. They're making money, hopefully soon, get back to playing live again. Um, some bands are starting to, which is great as COVID restrictions get lifted. But um, it's Spotify and the streaming has created a new beast, so to speak, with all its pluses and minuses. So it's, it's interesting because the industry is evolving so quickly, everybody's scrambling to keep up. Mm -hmm. Well, didn't you put out a Christmas album not too long ago? Yes, I did. I initially put out a Christmas album in the mid-90s when I finished university. And uh, that was the CD era, of course, prior to streaming. And I pushed it for about two, three years and then sort of put it aside. And it was jump ahead 10 years. 
And some of my distributors sent me an email and said, we're, we're putting everything online. Do you want to? And I said, sure, throw my Christmas songs online. And one song took off, and it started getting download after download every Christmas. So a couple of years ago, I decided I'm going to take that one song and build an entire new Christmas album around it, which I released last year. So, and the one song that's been getting me stream after stream is the Snow Miser and Heat Miser, which is from a uh, television special called The Year Without a Santa Claus. And that, that I get so much, that every Christmas, that thing just uh, up to over a million, almost a million streams now on Spotify, and that's only two years released it. So I'm pretty proud of that. And the Christmas, I love the Christmas music. I had so much fun with it. When I was looking at your YouTube channel, I think that's the one that stood out, the Snow Miser and Heat Miser. And I think for people of a certain generation, we remember that when it came out. And it just triggers so much nostalgia. Yeah, that's what I love about Christmas music. I mean, Christmas music brings that nostalgia up. The Snow Miser, Heat Miser. I put together a Christmas album of songs I loved as a kid. Frosty the Snowman's on there. The Grinch is on there. Snoopy's Christmas is on there. And then I, I wrote four originals, which I put on the album as well. Like, is that something you can share with your kids and say, hey, this is these are my favorite Christmas songs from when I was a kid? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of Christmas, Kelly. I mean, I, I put together these rock Christmas songs, but they really are timeless. They're, there's no age demographic. You can be eight years old or 88 years old. And it's Christmas and rock and roll Christmas. And all my songs I write about Christmas are all about fun. And that's what it's all about. I mean, Music is about fun. I think even as a kid, I think when I first saw that, The Year Without a Santa Claus, I knew how cool those songs and those characters were, the heat miser <laughs> and the snow miser. Yep. Yep. When I first saw it, I couldn't stop laughing. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And <laughs> jump ahead 40 years, I still think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so I love it. Well, also during that era, and we were talking earlier, it made me think of when you're talking about high school, uh, the show Happy Days. Yes, I remember that too. Uh, I, was, I was an elementary school kid, but all of us thought the Fonz was the coolest guy you'd ever seen. And it, it's interesting you bring this forth because this, once again, this is prior to streaming and it's prior to uh, um, people being able to consume any type of entertainment whenever they want. Back in the 70s, Happy Days show was showing once a week. We all had to wait for Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock to watch Happy Days. And then at the school the next day, we all talked about what the Fonz did, and then we had to wait again until next Tuesday. And now today, everything's instantaneous. So it's just it's well, different. Um, well, it's so iconic and makes that show a time capsule is at the beginning and the opening credits. You see that old-fashioned jukebox with the 7-inch vinyl records? Yep, yep. And was it Bill Haley in the comments? Rock on the clock was the theme song for those first couple seasons of Happy Days, and they they switched to another song. But right, those old jukeboxes right. are great. Yep. And it's amazing how well those songs hold up. I mean, Rock Around the Clock—that's that's a classic. And I think even if you play that for modern, you know, high school kids, it's a foot tapping yep. song. Yep. And I think, I think that a lot of young people. If they haven't been exposed to it, they just don't know about it. But I think a lot of young people I've been talking to actually really embrace this. And when they discover, you know, these classic rock songs, they really get into them. And Kelly, I I so agree with you, completely agree with you. 
because the beauty of those songs, Bill Hayes' Rock on the Clock is a perfect example of it was a singable melody. It was a great melody. And like I said earlier, a lot of today's music is about the beat first, melody second. And I think that doesn't have as much an impact as melody first, beat second. The beat should support the melody, That's in my opinion. Or sometimes, or the beat and the melody can go hand in hand, depending. I mean, ACDC were classics that uh, were creating a rock and roll beat along with the melody. Um, but it, it's an interesting point because I, I so agree with you that um, there's lots of younger people, I think, just aren't exposed to it. And one of the things I'm finding very surprising and enlightening, and I love it, is all my demographics on YouTube and Spotify are telling me that just as many 18-year-olds are listening to me as there are 65-year-olds. So they're catching hold of it, and they're grabbing hold of it, and they're enjoying what I'm doing, which I absolutely love. I was not expecting it, and I love it. Isn't that great how you can see those demographics? Yes, yes. And uh, um, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, and um, I, I think it's, it's I'm, like I said, I'm so happy that I'm reaching wide demographics. And I'm going to hopefully I can continue to do that with the songs I have coming out in the future. Mm-hmm. We're going to wrap up soon. I have a few more questions, but first... People need to know where to find you, learn more about you, buy your music. So where are the best places online to seek you out? Best places. Well, first is the website, richchambers.com. Uh, on Twitter or uh, Facebook, it's at Santa's Rockin' Band. This is the first rock song I ever released commercially. Or just hashtag Rich Chambers, and I'll come up as well. And Google Rich Chambers, and it'll come up all over the place. I'm making a plan of getting my name out there as much as I possibly can. So if somebody were to Google me, they're going to come up right away with Rich Chambers Artist. And there'll be links to my YouTube and Facebook and all the rest. So please, yes, and thank you, Kelly. So please, anybody listening, have a hashtag Rich Chambers and have a look at what I'm doing. Now, are there other Rich Chambers? Because sometimes I've, I've looked up, you know, indie artists, and, and then you find out like some chiropractor in Iowa has the same name and they come up more than you do. Like, are there other rich chambers out there? Well, it's funny that you say this. This is actually a funny story because people will Google rich chambers and they might get a basketball coach. All the enough is a basketball coach from Vancouver. And he actually taught me when I was in high school. And him and I, every now and then, we run into each other and we both laugh about how people think he's a singer and people think I'm a basketball coach. <laughs> so that's a it's small quite funny world. The other rich, yeah, yeah, that's small world stuff. So that'll be the other rich chambers that comes up. The best, but I'm right now, I'm pushing ahead of him. For a while, he was bugging me because he was ahead of me, but not anymore. Now I'm getting more fixed than him. So. <laughs> I like that. I'm, I was surprised. Even people with the most unlikely names and you Google them, and just, you know, like insurance salesmen, you know, come up or just, yeah. you know, most unlikely <laughs> connections. It, it just boggles my mind. Yes. yes. Oh, well. But well, I'm here's what I really... over the internet from the basketball coach. Well, you, you, you just need to be so popular that you erase this coach from the internet. So you just push him <laughs> down to like the, the 20th page on a Google search. That's what I'm trying for. <laughs> oh, now, I love it. no, it's just, I'm, yeah. When we mentioned Americana earlier, and I once talked to another Canadian yep. about this, and I said, Is there a Canadian version of Americana? Um, 
it's it's similar. There's so many things that the U.S. and Canada are very similar on, um, which I'm happy. I mean, I'm I'm happy to be uh, next door to you guys. No question. I'm proud to, I'm proud to be your neighbor, so to speak. And uh, so much of the Americana that I hear, I can relate to too. As it's just, uh, we have so many of the same beliefs, principles, and and foundations. And if you got into Canadiana, maybe you're looking at uh, Gordon Lightfoot or, or uh, Joni Mitchell, things like that. Um, but it's still, I, uh, most canes will resonate with the same artists in Americana, so no question. Right, I'm always amazed, you know, as much as I, I, I try to, you know, learn a lot about music and musicians, but every now and then I'm thrown for a loop and, and realize, what, they were from Canada? You know, people, you just think in your mind, you just assume they're American when so many prominent um, musicians are from Canada. Yes, there we've had a, quite a few musicians from Canada, which is is I'm very happy, I'm very proud of. I mean, there's there's tons. Um, yeah, the Guess Who was one of the first, and going way right. back in the early '60s, uh, somebody by the name of Bobby Curtola. I don't know if you ever heard of this 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 individual. He was the first, I think, million selling uh, a Canadian artist, and he was mm-hmm. a sort of a Frankie Valley type uh, scenario from the early '60s, Four Seasons, that sort of type of music. But there's been many artists throughout the years. I mean, now somebody like Drake is huge. Uh, Celine Dion, of course. Uh, Justin Bieber. These are all Canadian artists who have really done well, no question. Yeah, I mean, Guess Who is always the first to come in mind for a big band. But I always have to g- give a shout out to Anne Murray, who really numbers wise yep. is probably one of the you know top selling artists to ever come out of Canada. Oh, there's no question. No question. I, 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 I forgot about her for a second, too. As soon as you said the name, I thought, of course, Anne Murray. Uh, Neil Young's another one, another huge Canadian artist. Um, yep. So, yeah, there's been a, a, a big Canadian artist. And hopefully I can put think my name it, in there one day, too. <laughs> uh, of course. Now, who was the guy that, um, oh, my God, Brian Adams. He was always connected with his yep. producer and songwriting partner, uh, Jim Valance. Jim Valance, yes, yes. So, so and then, I mean, of course, producing. Sorry, Kelly, what were you about to say? I was going to say, and yeah, and Jim Valance worked with a lot of other people, too, in America, and just, I think, had a real big influence yeah. on rock and roll here. Yeah, producer Bob Rock, who's, who's oh, he's produced some huge uh, bands. Uh, Aerosmith, I believe, I believe Bon Jovi, I believe ACDC. Um, so there's been producers here in Vancouver. Lots of artists will come to Vancouver to record. And I think they still do. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, um, but so we've had some big time producers here as well. Mm-hmm. Well, then here, here's a big final question for you. It's a biggie. Okay. Fire away. So what would you say is the unique contribution Canadian rockers have added to rock and roll? Or or is there something just a uniquely Canadian sound when it comes to rock? Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure if I can really pinpoint that one. Um, I think what I've liked about, uh, I think of a, a band like Blue Rodeo, a Canadian band who I love. And what they've done really well is they've merged genres blue rodeo can go country can go rock can go shift back and forth 
I think a lot of Kane artists um, have been very good at pushing the genres a little bit and not pigeonholing their sound so much. I think that's the one thing where us Kane artists can be proud of that we're able to sort of break some of these genres a little bit. So I'm, I'm hoping to keep that tradition going. You know, just came to mind. I don't think always gets her due because she's sort of transcended genre and she's really evolved, but is Katie Lang. And just remembering when she of first course. came out in the eighties with her band and she had the sawed off cowboy boots. I, I think there were even, yep. there was a name for her thing. It wasn't quite rockabilly, but they were calling it something merging rock and country. You're right. I, I completely forgot about Katie Lang because she hasn't. She's been kind of silent for the last few years. But what an amazing vocalist! My goodness, that woman has an incredible voice. Uh, and but you're right, Kelly. She did come out. It was sort of country, but not country. She. What I really respect about her, she kind of always did her own thing. Which <laughs> is good for her. Right, and I think she was much more identified as you know, being in a band. You know, whether or not you know, I don't know how she billed herself if it was Solo or Katie Lang in the something, but I just remember the early music videos having just a real live band feel to them. Yeah. No question. I, I love that live band feel. Um, and that's, you, you know, and Katie Lang was very good. at A lot of the country artists were really good at it. Um, and still are. A lot of country bands still stick to playing. Uh, I think that's why in many ways, country has become so popular. It's always been popular, but in the last 20 years, it's really become popular. And I think because people gravitate towards the idea that country bands are full bands as opposed to just computer-generated music. Not to knock computer-generated music because there's some great stuff out mm-hmm. there, but sure. for somebody like me, I like to see people play the instruments. I, I, that's, where I, that's where my foundation is. I just remembered her band. It, they were, I think, billed as... Katie Lang and the Reclines. Oh, geez. I, that's, and I think, totally and I think Reclines out. was kind of a reference to Patsy Klein, like Reclines and kind of a throwback yeah. to, you know, showing her influence to Patsy Klein and that music of the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. Yeah. I can oh, my see goodness. That. That's another amazing vocalist, Patsy Klein. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, well, that, that's well, you, Kelly, I, I'm impressed. Kudos to you for pulling that one out. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you rebranded and and became Rick Rich Chambers and the so and so, like what would you call your backing band? Oh, well, the band I played with for years up until just a few years ago was called Half Hour Late, and the very ah. first band I ever played in high school we called ourselves Side Street. So, okay, that's pretty cool. Rich Chambers and yeah, Rich Chambers and Half Hour Late. That would be a Rich Chambers and Side Street. Those are the only two bands I've ever been in. I've only yeah, I've only been in two bands, but they were both long term. I'm a long term relationship guy. <laughs> so when you perform live now, do you have a backing band? I don't. Um, so there hasn't. I haven't performed live in a few years now. And uh, at some point, I'm going. I've been doing all the instruments myself. At some point, I'm going to have to uh, put together a band. Right now, I, I'm, I'm I'm all about promoting and getting the name out there and, and singing my songs. I've done a few uh, podcasts where I've sang my songs, solo with me and the acoustic guitar. But at some point, when things start pushing the next level, which I'm really pushing towards, I'm going to have to put together a band. Not have to. I'll want to put together a band and, and hit the road. But I'm not quite there yet. 
You know, when you're in high school and you have some friends and say, hey, let's put a band together. It's like, oh, okay. Hey, we need a bass player. Oh, so-and-so, let's ask him. You know, you kind of do it grassroots, but at this stage, how would you actually recruit and and audition people for a band now? Well, it's a good question because, of course, it's on my plan. It's it's down the road, but it's part of the plan. At some point, I'm going to have to... um, and I'll have to probably start putting out uh, feelers out on the internet and through the various uh, connections uh, that I've made over the years. And I know people, um, sort of things. I just haven't, I'm not at a point where I can approach somebody and say, Hey, you know, we've known each other for five, six years. I really like the way you play drums or whatever. Can you join the band? I'm not at that point yet, but I've got a base of a few people uh, uh, that I already know. And that's sort of how it'll, it'll word of mouth connections. Uh, you can place the call on the internet and, at some point, I'll be putting together a band, for sure. I, I bet, like, people who have been in other bands, you know, from the past few decades that you admired up there in Canada, I bet a lot of them are, are looking for some work. I, I bet if you, like, you know, tracked them down through LinkedIn and maybe you could find, like, the bass player from the Reclines or who knows, like, or, or the, like the, the nephew of, of someone from Guess Who. You know, yep. you can get a little creative well, with Kelly, this recruiting. You're absolutely right, and that's part of the stuff that I will do. I've been using uh, LinkedIn and every other resource to find uh, publishers and, and radio music directors and all kinds of things. I will be doing the same thing when it comes time to find musicians for my band. And it's also about personality fit. I've often, I remember uh, reading something John Lennon said about uh, uh, an interview he did in the 60s about the Beatles. And he said, each of us are pretty good musicians on our own, he says, but together we're fantastic. And I thought, you know, that says to the personality mesh that has to happen for a band to really click. And, and you can have, so you have many bands where you, you break down each individual, you go, they're, they're good musicians, they're pro, but there's something about you put them together and they're just that much better. So personality and personality fit are going to be important for me when I start looking for a band. How about some of the slugs? <laughs> I don't know, but they might be a little too slow for me. I don't... <laughs> Rich, Rich, uh, we'll Rich, I mean... Rich Chambers and and the sluggish slugs. <laughs> oh man, Kelly, all kinds of ideas. Well, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to see when it comes time. I'm probably another year away from putting a band together, to be honest. Well, I'll, I would be the first in line to buy a ticket if you, if you did a live concert. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, first, I got a, my I got another two singles that are coming out. I have one coming out at the end of November, and I have one coming out in early February, and that will support my first non-Christmas album. And I have two more albums worth of material ready to go. It's just a matter of recording it and putting it out a bit at a time. So what my goal has been over the last year and, and proceeding to forward to the next two years is to have singles coming out every eight to ten weeks followed by albums because I, I want to get my name out there. I want to get people, radio stations sick of seeing my name, that they finally start playing mm-hmm. my music and things like that. So I want to always stay so, sort of fresh and, and at the top of people's minds. So next month, what's the name of that single that you're going to be releasing? November 29th is called I Wonder. I Wonder. Excellent. And then in yep, February, uh, the name of that single coming up in yep. February? It'll be called Nice Guy But. Ah, uh, uh, for Valentine's Day? 
Oh no, no! It's 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 a, it's a song <laughs> that we've all, and it's quite it's a funny story actually. I don't want to get too into it, but it's all about being in the friend zone and being dumped. You're a real nice guy, but you're just a friend. That's the whole premise behind the song. Oh, perfect for Valentine's. <laughs> yeah, I guess in some ways it is. <laughs> not the, all right. Not the exact so, Valentine's Day most people want, but there it is. <laughs> so I'm going to let you have the last word here. It's kind of a question, but you can elaborate. But for those people listening, these high school kids that maybe have grown up not hearing this kind of music, but they're turned on by it, they've they've gone to YouTube and heard all these great classics and say, hey, I want to form a garage band with my friends here in high school. What would be your advice to them? My advice to them would be, first and foremost, have fun. you got to have fun. Um, that's what it's all about. If you go into it wanting to be a superstar or wanting to make millions of dollars, the focus is wrong. Um, the chances of getting there are very, very slim. I mean, I found that out, how much hard work there was involved very quickly out of high school, 18, 19, 20, and the amount of crazy gigs I did. But through it all, Kelly, the one thing that's, that stuck with me is how much fun it is to play, how much fun it is to write, how much fun it is to sing. So that's what I would say to any high school band starting out. Have fun. Get your friends in there. Who cares about musicianship? Just start playing and have fun. Well, his name is Rich Chambers, not the coach, but the musician. His <laughs> latest single, the very uh, cleverly titled High School Can't Last Forever, but I think he is keeping the spirit of rock and roll alive. So I really appreciate you sharing all this with us. Thanks, Kelly. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Thanks.